0: Hello, friend. Welcome to Mr. Rewatch, your Mr. Robot recap podcast, brought to you by a depressive hacker and a stand-up comedian. I'm Aaron. and I'm Devlin. So, uh, hey, what have you been up to since the last time we uh, we taped this show?
1: That question really gives me a lot to think about. I mean, I don't even really know what I'm up to.
0: Do you have summer on we?
1: Yeah, let's talk about you. <laughs> Are you hearing any good music lately?
0: I have. Um, it was recently uh, the Riverfest Music Festival in Alora, Ontario.
1: It sounds interesting. Did yeah. you get to go to it? What's that? Did you go to it?
0: No, but uh, <laughs> but I'm very sad because Google Bordello was playing.
1: Oh, I've heard a lot about them.
0: Yeah, so instead I just uh, re-listened to their records in my car.
1: <laughs> Which one? Or do you have a favorite?
0: Well, my favorite song uh, is Underdog World Strike.
1: It is all connected through the gypsy part of town. Let's go. It's Underdog World Strike. At the end of episode five, we found out that Vera had left a phone at Elliot's place, and now he's using that phone to, to basically extort him to get broken out of prison because we find out that he's abducted Shayla. Uh, he's arranged a, a meeting between Shayla and Elliot at a local diner, and they they get to meet up, place. They, they think the food is good, but Elliot is kind of starting to see that sometimes his um his white knight and kind of sometimes has unintentional consequences.
0: Exactly, and that's a problem Elliot has throughout the show, and I think it's. It's well intentioned and he's functioning in some power structures where I'm sure he believes and perhaps it wouldn't be possible for like women to advocate for themselves or keep themselves safe but you know certainly when we see Shayla get hauled out of the diner in plain sight of like half a dozen people yeah
1: nobody really bats an eye
0: you know you know Elliot's in way over his head and this whole thing has gone too far. And now he's got a very difficult mission because if he's supposed to hack into a prison and somehow... So again, remember we talked in the last episode about technological hurdles and human hurdles? Mm -hmm. So this is the tech hurdle of he's got to somehow figure out how to get the cell unlocked. But then also, there are going to be a lot of human hurdles in actually getting a man from his jail cell out of a prison ground.
1: No kidding. And he kind of has to do this under the supervision of these people who are holding a gun to his head.
0: Exactly. And one of those, of course, is Vera's brother, who we remember is the guy who thought it was a wise idea to do all of this in plain <laughs> sight of everyone. Yeah. So he's cooperating with him. And there's another, I'll call him henchman. Uh, a henchman That's a good word. that's probably probably how
1: he's credited yeah yeah on his
0: IMDB page (laughs) Uh, but uh, so he has to cooperate with them there's really no other choice if he wants to have any hope of saving Shayla before something really terrible happens
1: yeah not a lot is really established in the scene though we kind of just see that Vera has complete control of the situation he takes Shayla out of the diner very abruptly at the end of the scene and then we don't really know what happens next
0: one thing I'll say about this is in the next few episodes that we're going to be talking about the pace really picks up because this whole season is really written like a thriller like there are so many cliffhangers and there's so much intrigue and there are so many dramatic moments so I think we're really like you know we've been talking about certain storylines ramping up like this one has really built some momentum.
1: Yeah well it's kind of the culmination of uh, five episodes worth of character development we're kind of seeing all of these storylines play out for the first time.
0: So when we cut away to Angela, Angela has really been becoming more and more obsessed with the Washington Township toxic waste scandal.
1: She's kind of off doing like a a rogue agents thing.
0: I know, (laughs) it's like badass Nancy Drew. (laughs) I wish there was an acronym for that scandal. There's not. What would it be? W-T-T-W-S.
1: I think that it would probably be called like Washington Gate or something like that.
0: Yeah, yeah, Sludge (laughs) Gate. yeah. Maybe we'll call it Sledgegate.
1: Let's call it that for now. Huh?
0: Sledgegate. So is obsessed with Sledgegate. So she's been phoning all over town trying to find lawyers who originally worked on this case. And no one will answer her calls. No one will give her a meeting. And finally she finds herself back in the office of the lawyer who originally represented her family when, I think it's in 1993, when they were trying to see the company.
1: Wow, so that's like more than 20 years ago, I guess. It was probably pretty hard for them to, get a, um, to find a lawyer because they sort of realized that this case is futile. Like I was saying, it's kind of a, a David and Goliath situation where the lawyers recognize that it's going to be difficult for anybody to kind of bring these companies to justice. I think that the um, lawyer character is very interesting, though, and they do a good job of making her seem very competent and very capable. Uh, I think that I'm excited to kind of see how they play out.
0: Yeah, I remember um, the lawyer, and I'll forget the actor's name right now, but she's also in House of Cards. Oh, yeah?
1: Are they a lawyer in that, too? (laughs) No, she's a
0: politician. Of course. (laughs) Yeah, she's excellent in it. So, yeah, we're at a moment where, and this will be my one Hamilton reference for the episode, I promise, where um, Angela asks the lawyer what they need, and she says, they need someone on the inside who might let some things slide. That's a Hamilton quote. Get listening to that, (laughs) Dudley. The next thing we see is a woman in high heels and she's walking through a parking lot and she's littering the ground with flash drives <laughs> and I knew this would pique your interest.
1: Yeah, that's really our first clue that it's Darlene and that she's up to no good. This attack is kind of similar to the um, the CD based attack that uh, Cisco used on Ollie and Angela in an earlier episode. It's very reminiscent of Stuxnet again because um, Darlene realizes that the system is very well protected, it's probably going to be hard to find any exploit that will allow them to get in from the outside. So instead what she does is she drops a bunch of USB keys in the parking lot, kind of anticipating that somebody will be curious enough to plug it into their computer and find out who it belongs to and what's on it. But in this case what's on it is malware, because Darlene is using something that's kind of similar to a real world product called a Land Turtle where when you plug it into your computer it opens up what's called a reverse shell where you start running a server on your computer that accepts command input from outside front system So as long as this um, USB key is plugged in, Elliot and Darlene are able to run commands on this uh, CO's computer and get access to the network.
0: So she's basically opened up a trap door into the prison network.
1: Exactly. Um, The difficulty is that because of the time constraints involved in the situation, Darlene wasn't able to come up with what's called a zero-day exploit, which is when you develop and use an exploit for the first time. There have been zero days to patch it. What she needs to use is an existing exploit that she found online which is not really recommended because often antivirus software will become aware of it and that's actually what we see play out in this situation. She uses an existing exploit so the CO's malware detector notices immediately that it's running and that kind of trips them to the fact that somebody is attacking their network. Because of that, Darlene is a bit of a script kitty.
0: I feel like that's like when at the airport they ask you if you packed your own suitcase.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly.
0: Because I guess if you haven't packed your own suitcase, you have no idea what's in there.
1: Yeah, don't, don't use anybody else's USB key.
0: Actually, interestingly, my, um, at my work, we've actually just been told that we're no longer allowed to put a client's USB key into any of our systems.
1: That's probably for that reason. In fact, a bunch of workplaces that are very um, like security sensitive, they will just put epoxy or super glue in their USB ports, so it's physically impossible to put any USB keys. Really? Yeah. No way. Especially in like, banks and stuff like that.
0: Here's a bit of a tangent, but if you downloaded that same attachment by, from an email, are you just as vulnerable?
1: Not necessarily. Um, like like maybe? There definitely are a bunch of exploits that you can pull off just by downloading a file from your email.
0: Huh, this podcast is brought to you by Stuxnet. <laughs> so, um, Elliot kind of calls Darlene out for using this other script, right?
1: Well, it's kind of caused some negative consequences for them, because not only did the attack fail, but it also tripped them off to the fact that they are attempting to hack them.
0: Right, and so that, of course, because Elliot is sort of midway through his work, when it the CEO pulls out the flash drive, which, I guess, aborts whatever he's doing.
1: Yeah, he actually has, uh, well... I don't want to say that he has good security protocol because it's not good security protocol to plug in a USB key that you found in the parking lot, but he did do the right thing by immediately disconnecting the network cable and plugging out the power as soon as they noticed there was any kind of malware on their computer because that prevents it from propagating throughout the network, which is something that everybody should do if they ever notice an infected computer.
0: Huh, good advice. (laughs) Um, But it's not going to help them now, so Darlene goes over to Elliot Uh, And they're having a conversation. He's snuck outside from his captors to give Flipper a little bit of a walk. (laughs)
1: Good excuse.
0: Oh, Flipper. It's really
1: handy to have a dog like that because you can just get in of any social situation. I just got to go walk my dog.
0: Yeah, yeah. I've left so many parties that way. Same. (laughs) Um, So they're having this conversation on the sidewalk. And that's how Darlene also becomes a hostage. Because, of course, these guys are not going to let Elliot go very far without watching him. So now both of them have been ordered back inside the apartment.
1: Next up, we see Tyrell, and he's meeting Scott Knowles because he's really trying to inch into that um, CTO position or at least get as close to it as he can by working really closely with Scott.
0: I like how vicious Scott Knowles is in this scene. We learn right away that Scott knows exactly what Tyrell did to his wife.
1: Right, I think that Tyrell kind of He doesn't really pay attention to other people, and I think that he thinks that other people don't pay attention to him, but he kind of overplayed his hand in this situation because, of course, um, Sharon Knowles, right after the confrontation in the last episode, she clued in Scott to the situation and what exactly went down, and maybe he didn't think that that was going to happen.
0: I think he assumed it wouldn't happen. Yeah. I think he thinks of himself almost like a ghost where he can sort of invisibly move through all these situations.
1: Exactly. He kind of thinks that he's untouchable.
0: Exactly, but there are a lot of eyes on him right now because he's sneaky, Yeah, <laughs> so sneaky. Um, Scott's most vicious moment in this scene um, and the part where I think he's really trying to seize back power from him is he tells him that he'll ne- he's never going to be CTO, but more brutally he offers him his watch <laughs> and then he, he criticizes Tyrell's apartment. And then he says, you know, I know your family's growing and you need all the help you can get.
1: Just throwing all kinds of shade. And you know that to um, somebody who's so kind of status-oriented as Tyrell, that's probably exactly the kind of thing that he's afraid of.
0: It's so deflating. It's so crushing. And so he holds his shit barely together until he gets home. And then we just see him. He's just smashing things (laughs) in his kitchen.
1: What I really like about that scene, though, is that Joanna just doesn't bat an eye.
0: Joanna is the most dispassionate observer of it. He's destroying things. And she's just, I don't know what it is, she's just delicately nibbling something off of a tiny fork.
1: There's a lot of focus on that fork for some reason.
0: Well, she's also eating something weirdly enormous. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Do you remember <laughs> several what it was? Bites.
0: I couldn't figure out what it was.
1: <laughs> Me either. It
0: looked deep fried, though. It looked good.
1: Yeah, I tried
0: All right, so uh, Angela and her terrible timing are now at Elliot's door, and... Of course, Elliot's got a bit of a situation going on inside. <laughs> he's a
1: little preoccupied, you could say.
0: A little bit, and so, but she can't wait because she wants to tell him that she's got a big idea to change the world.
1: And I think that Elliot's probably willing to entertain that idea in a general sense, but right now he's got some other stuff on his mind, right? So he's just kind of trying to shew her away.
0: Exactly, because I think he wants to get her out of there safely.
1: Yeah, it's kind of like with um, Gideon earlier, where he kind of doesn't really want to involve any more people in this situation than is necessary.
0: Exactly. So his thought is that what he should do is just validate her, make her feel good, and send her on her way.
1: (laughs) And he hugs her, right? He actually initiates the hug? He
0: hugs her. (laughs) That's how desperate he is to get her out of there. Yeah,
1: I think that's the first time for him.
0: I think so. We'll have to mark. I'm not sure we see him ever hug anyone else.
1: (laughs) We'll have a counter for it.
0: We'll have a counter, so one. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Elliot comes back in and guess who's there.
1: Mr. Robot, right?
0: Mr. Robot's waiting in the stairwell.
1: <laughs> and he just kind of um, realizes that the situation's kind of dangerous and wants Elliot to peace out.
0: Exactly. He, Interestingly, Mr. Robot's not going anywhere near the action himself. He's hanging out in the stairwell, and his advice is to cut and run.
1: To leave Darlene, specifically, because she's still in that apartment.
0: Exactly. Um, he thinks there's no way out of it um, where someone doesn't get hurt and... I guess he doesn't really care what happens to Darlene.
1: Yeah, well, I guess this just goes to show that Mr. Robot is very ruthless and pragmatic like that, but um, it, it relates to the boardwalk scene, I think, because it shows that he realizes that people are very important to his operation, but he still is willing to disavow them and throw them under the bus at a moment's notice.
0: Um, one part coming back to one of my favorite themes in this series is Mr. Robot says that it's Elliot's time to be brave, and that... Courage is about being honest with yourself, which is interesting because, of course, we have a lot of themes about truth and lies, and that Elliot's often perceived to be a liar or someone who breaks promises.
1: I guess that's kind of an overarching theme of this season.
0: I think so, and I'm sure we'll have more to say about that later on. Um, But in this situation, Elliot doesn't follow Mr. Robot's advice.
1: Yeah, he goes back into the apartment, right? So to close off Angela's storyline in this episode, she goes to meet Terry Colby, who is under house arrest in his uh, apartment. She notices that he has a GPS monitor around his ankle, and she kind of, I think, um, takes a bit of pleasure in seeing that he's fallen so far from his status that he had before.
0: Because this is the first step towards what she hopes will be an eventual consequence.
1: I guess she has kind of bigger plans than just this, but this is the first consequence of her actions, that you start to see.
0: What I love is that because we have in the previous scene where she says she has an idea to change the world, this is obviously the first step on that path. Yeah. So I'm so curious about this and it's a big, this is part of that big shift in her character that we were talking about in previous episodes where she's really taking charge of things.
1: I think it's really exciting to watch her character develop over these episodes earlier in the series.
0: It is because initially I'm not interested in her at all.
1: But what's interesting about her is the empowerment story I think.
0: I think that's true, it's really a development story for her. And it gets more interesting as it goes along. Uh, one thing we noticed while we were watching this is because this this episode is a story about two prisoners, right?
1: Yeah. Um, we have Terry Colby and Vera, right?
0: Exactly. And so the sharp contrast between the way two people both up on serious criminal <laughs> charges are treated when one is considered to be a white-collar criminal and one is a... Latino drug dealer.
1: Yeah, because I guess Vera is locked up in some maximum security prison and Terry is at home under house arrest.
0: Right, so I think sharp contrast in the way those two are being treated by the correctional system. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned because they're both in the same episode that I don't think that comparison is accidental. Yeah, it
1: seems deliberate to me.
0: The way this scene closes is that uh, Terry actually just slams the door in her face.
1: <laughs> yeah, he doesn't really want to hear from Angela right now.
0: Or perhaps ever. So let's move back into the Elliot storyline, and that's going to carry us through to the end of this episode.
1: He's trying to break Vera out of prison.
0: He is, and he's been, because his first attempt didn't work.
1: Because Zerlene used the outdated exploit.
0: Right, which in her defense, she only had an hour to create. <laughs> They're all under tight timelines here today.
1: And you might think that an outdated exploit would work, would work considering that's what Elliot used on his hospital and prison is kind of just another big public institution like that.
0: Exactly, but we learned that they actually have better security. So Elliot, he kind of has a light bulb moment here, and he figures out that the way he's going to be able to pull this off is he's actually going to hack the whole prison. He's going to open every cell and deactivate all the security systems.
1: What Elliot's trying to do is establish plausible deniability. Because if he was to just break one person out of prison, it's pretty obvious who's responsible for it. But if he was to break everybody out of prison, then who really knows? It could have been any of them.
0: I can see that, right? It makes sense where he's trying to also create a graceful exit for himself from this situation. And he's still, of course, trying to protect Shayla's safety.
1: He still doesn't know what's uh, happened here.
0: No. And so he goes to the jail to do two things. First, he's asking Vera for more time. This is more complex than he thought. And it's not going to be as simple to pull off as he had previously assumed. But he also comes to, in a way, up the ante for Vera. So what he's done is now he owns all of Vera's operations. So if he doesn't check in every 24 hours to, well, you can talk more about to a program that he's created, yeah. all of Vera's operations and all of his money will be deleted.
1: Yeah, it's, um, it's something called the Dead Man Switch. And something like this has actually been kind of popular in recent years because um, Wikileaks has used something like this. What they did was release a gigantic torrent of like 14 gigabytes of encrypted data and then used a program that said, if I don't check in every day, release the encryption key. So that means that if there was to be any harm to them, the encryption key would automatically be released and people would find out what was in that encrypted data. So Elliot's kind of doing the same thing here.
0: Right. And his play here is that he will trade all of that information for Shayla's safety. So, he's in a more powerful position than he was before, but he's also pleased Vera, so this is working. And unfortunately, Vera actually tries to hug him.
1: <laughs> yeah, and he isn't that one for touching, right?
0: No touching. And fortunately, the prison guard intervenes before <laughs> he, can, uh, he can get his mitts on him. In the prison storyline, things are really heating up, and we talked about how this story is a really slow build.
1: Yeah, it does, but it kind of all pays off in the end, I guess.
0: Exactly, because this is like a really intense fifteen minutes, uh, or so of the episode, and so we don't expect that Isaac. So that's Vera's brother. Isaac wants to get Elliot alone, so he ditches Darlene and the other henchmen, and he takes henchman one, henchman one, (laughs) henchman one, and uh, and he takes them for a walk. And Elliot knows it can't possibly be good for him. And that suspicion is confirmed when Isaac pulls out a gun, and he says to Elliot, you know, this is just not your day, bro.
1: (laughs) The scene kind of seemed like um, in Breaking Bad, whenever they go out to the middle of a desert. Like, just an urban version of that, I guess.
0: Yeah, exactly. It must be hard to look for a discreet place in New York. (laughs) But um, he's going to shoot Elliot, and this is when we learn he doesn't want any of this to succeed, and he never has, because it's actually... He's organized the assassination plot that's going to get Vera killed in prison tonight.
1: Yeah, he's actually had it out for Vera for quite a while because as he was telling to his lawyer in the previous episode, it was his brother's idea to um, have all of his operations on the clear net like this. So Isaac has kind of been overseeing Vera's downfall from the very beginning. It, it's his fault that he's in prison to begin with.
0: Exactly, and you can only assume that he just wanted to put him there yeah. and get him out of the way. This is uh, what, des- what I'll what i describe as Elliot's weird trolley problem.
1: <laughs> yeah, I guess it is. So for people who aren't aware with the trolley problem, you can basically envision it as a situation where if you don't take any actions, there will be a consequence like a trolley hitting five people, but you also have the option of flipping the switch and sending the trolley down a different set of rails and hitting one person. So, in this case, Elliot can either take, take no action, which will result in Vera dying in prison, or he can break Farrah out of prison, which will result in Isaac's death instead. step.
0: And, of course, he still ultimately hopes that he's going to be able to save Shayla.
1: That's kind of his ultimate goal here, I guess.
0: Exactly. I think that's the only thing he's really working for. Of course, if she weren't there, I mean, he has no interest in these people at <laughs> yeah, all. Yeah,
1: he would probably put two trolleys over both of them. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> so Elliot makes a choice in his trolley problem, and he decides he's, he's going to go ahead with the hack.
1: I guess he thinks that's the easiest way to get Shayla out of the situation.
0: And so tell us a bit about how the hack actually happens.
1: Oh yeah, well he actually pulls off a pretty novel trick here, I think. Um, his first uh, attempt to hack the prison involves um, attacking their wireless network, which is kind of similar to what he did to Ron in the first episode, but he finds that in this case he's not able to crack the password with something like AircrackNG, and um, he's not really able to get onto the wireless network at all, so that's a bit of a roadblock for him, but He has a really, really great idea, I think. This actually kind of was like a a light bulb moment for me when I was watching it. He notices a a police car driving around, and he intuits that the police car is already connected to the Wi-Fi. So, he doesn't necessarily need to connect to the Wi-Fi network. What he does instead is he attacks the Bluetooth Bluetooth protocol that the computer in the police car is using. So, instead of actually breaking into the wireless network and having his computer join the network and start typing commands, what he does is he kind of pretends to be a Bluetooth keyboard and he spoofs sending input into the computer that is already on the network. So he basically kind of commandeers the computer inside the car remotely and uses that instead of his own computer, which I thought was really clever.
0: This is successful, right?
1: Successful in the sense that Vera's out of prison.
0: <laughs> right, and so is everyone else in the maximum security prison. So yeah. before we cut to the final scene in the episode, it's it just chaos. Uh, so henchman one just shoots Isaac. And uh, something this brought to mind for me, because we know how um, Veras very into the concept of punishment by a higher power.
1: Cosmic justice or cosmic retribution, I think is what he calls it.
0: Okay, maybe that's the way he <laughs> describes it. But, and it uh, and was mentioned God a couple of times, but Isaac, of course, in the Bible, is the son that Abraham is told to sacrifice in order to prove ah. his faith. And so here we see that uh, Isaac is sacrificed. And remember earlier Vera said that somebody had to get hurt, and that's how they got square with the
1: universe. That's so interesting. I think that um, Elliot and Darlene and stuff, these are all names that kind of have biblical references as well, and it's interesting to see how their names play out in their storylines.
0: Oh, we'll have to look some of those up for future episodes. I think the mo- the saddest part here is, my assumption at this moment is that they're square with the universe, and nobody else has to get hurt, but that's not true.
1: Yeah, because we see that uh, Shayla has been there all along, as he says.
0: What's interesting in this show, when you when you re-watch it, is so we see that poor Shayla's body is in the trunk of the car. But you had actually picked up on that earlier in the episode.
1: Yeah, actually, um, at the very beginning of this episode, when, I, I, I think it's Isaac, I don't remember, they're dropping off Elliot back at his apartment after they had met in the beginning. And um, Elliot is just asking over and over, where is Shayla? But every time he's asking this, the focus of the shot is on the trunk of the car. So it's kind of indicated from the very beginning that that's where she is.
0: I think I'm bad at absorbing visual information in this show, but when you rewatch it, you actually see a lot of subtle signifiers of what is to come or what has already happened.
1: There are a lot of things like that.
0: It's a cool show to rewatch in that way. Although this is a horrible episode to rewatch, and I really feel for Elliot in this storyline-
1: Yeah, well, Elliot, I think that he's just destroyed. And in part, it's because he realizes that these are the results of his own actions.
0: They are indirectly a result of his actions because, of course, he's the person that has brought all of these people together in this moment and to this consequence. Or at least that's how he feels that he's caused this consequence. So I think something breaks inside of him. And that's the end of the episode.
1: Yeah, and I think this is also the first um, major character death that we experience in the series. So this is probably not really something that Elliot's used to experiencing yet.
0: Well, exactly, because I'm sure this world is quite different than Elliot's regular office cubicle, you know, his regular life and his regular friends. Like This must all be a very shocking view of uh, an underworld. Well, this—I think it's also worth noting. This is one of the few episodes in this season that doesn't have a cliffhanger ending.
1: Yeah, I guess this is the culmination of their storylines.
0: Right. So we don't—we don't really have any dramatic foreshadowing for you. It's—it's it's <laughs> it's, just sad.
1: It's just pure sadness.
0: Pure sadness. Until next time.
1: <laughs> Thanks a lot for listening to Mr. Rewatch. We recorded this episode in downtown Toronto.
0: If you liked what you heard today, uh, we'd ask you to consider donating a couple of bucks to the Electronic Frontier Foundation defending civil liberties in the digital world. I'm Devlin. I'm Erin. Bonsoir.